Have you ever heard the expression, what's the tea? According to Urban Dictionary, it means when someone has gossip and you want to know every detail as soon as possible. So that's what this podcast is, spilling the tea on what it's like to have cancer, or the big C, as a young person in Northern Ireland. Recorded in 2021 during the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, this podcast series is hosted by Laura, myself, from Young Lives vs Cancer, formerly known as Click Sergeant, and Helen, myself, from Cancer Fund for Children. We have come together to talk about cancer services in Northern Ireland and share the stories of the young people and families. So they got seven, I think seven, or seven good eggs out of my ovaries. And then because obviously it was a cancer diagnosis, we only had one shot to do it right. Uh-huh. So I don't embryos, I don't do just eggs, we don't embryos. So um, to her, sperm was um, injected under the egg mm-hmm. and all seven fertilized. Wow. Um, I also in the fertility, I used to ring and I used to ring and ask, no, well, how you, no, you'd be ring and see how, pro- no, how they were progressing. Uh-huh. No, when they were saying, like, no, I will, like, six of them were doing really well and seven seventh was falling behind. It wasn't going as quick as all or six. So they said to me then, no, we're going to have to, we're only going to freeze the six because the seventh one wouldn't, they have to pick the best and what will survive this, the freezing and so on process. Mm-hmm. So, um, all seven fertilised and six were froze. So, How do you feel about that, that you've got six potential children in a freezer? I know. Yeah, her sister and me will have to buy a ball. This conversation was between Misha and Kathleen, who are both mums and both had Hodgkin's lymphoma. We discussed how cancer support services have changed in Northern Ireland over the past eight years, being part of the ABVD club, losing toenails, fertility preservation and being a young parent who has or had cancer. Then I speak to Lisa Callender, a Teenage Cancer Trust clinical nurse specialist to answer your questions about fertility preservation and cancer in Northern Ireland. This podcast was recorded over Zoom, so apologies for the sound quality at certain points during this record. Enjoy. When the doctor said cancer, when you were first diagnosed, when did you think about your fertility? When I was diagnosed, I was 18. So thinking about like fertility and that it wasn't really like, it wasn't really part of a thought process. And at that time, I didn't really think that I wanted children and I was really quite not okay with it but it wasn't to me there were bigger things going on like my cancer diagnosis and the treatment and stuff and like maybe having children in the future so for me it wasn't a big like question you know it wasn't something that I sort of pushed or was too worried about and then we have Shane now be surprised but it wasn't at the forefront of my mind at that time and at that age so what age were you Kathleen 18. And did the your nurse or your doctor mention fertility at any point? No. No. Well, I'm completely different. I was um, 22 when I was diagnosed and I was just, my baby Faker, he was only four months old. So whenever I was obviously just only after having a baby, but it was the first thing I thought of. And I actually followed somebody on Instagram that had the same diagnosis as me and I watched her go through fertility. And for it not to be like brought up in conversation to me, like I was, I was actually traumatized about it because I just thought, like, no, it's all right for everybody else to say, oh, well, you have one child, you know, but I wanted a family. And that is for me, I learned for Faker's die. Yeah, her, like, 
we always talked about having a family together and then all of a sudden then you were just swept off your feet as like no it's not an option so I fought hard for it so what did that what did that fighting look like for you so like um obviously it wasn't brought up to me so I brought it up and one of I think it might have been my second appointment obviously my first appointment when I went away it was the shock of it all but then when I came back then it was like I had a note and I remember my CNS nurse saying to me no if you have any questions you write them down in a book and bring them back and you know we can talk about them and I said right and that was one of the questions in the book that I had wrote down that like what's my options we you know fertility and for like no not not that I wanted to have I said that in the West is that like it's a long time I actually said no I can't say oh in five years time I want to have an all child that wasn't the way it was but it was the fact that it might have been took away from me. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We're all like, well, I'm someone that you can't have. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, no, somebody needs to tell me. Like, I needed to know exactly what way it worked and how, like, no, what way, how long it would have pushed my treatment back or, no, but that was never, it was never spoke about. It was just like, right, you're starting your treatment next week and that's, that's my like, no, nobody's going to tell me what to do. That was how it started. And they, once I mentioned it, then it was kind of like, no you're too because I was stage 4B I think so they were saying no you need to start your treatment like where your lymph nodes were situated was dangerous because they were on my heart wall and I was like no I don't care um, I want to do fertility mm-hmm. and they were like no I could push it back from 40 like 6 weeks and, I said, I, and because I'm down in there as well too obviously the fertility fund is something Belfast and they were like that's travelling up and down know every day they make you know to get like your internal scans done and I mean taking injections every day they were trying to talk me out of it and I was like no I don't care that's okay mm-hmm. so obviously when I went back to family then and we were talking about it they were saying no oh no we don't think that you should do that like you have baker you should be happy enough to have baker and all and I was like no who's anybody to tell me how many children I'm gonna have mm-hmm. so that was kind of then that was they just knew I wasn't taking off for an answer mm-hmm. so I was referred then day Belfast and what how was there anyone there advocating for you apart from your you or your family were who else was on your side in this not at this not at this time no because I wasn't kind of put on to anybody it was that early mm-hmm. it was literally like my second appointment and it was I started treatment at the start of the pandemic so it was really like there was even I think at this stage I think Tahir was not allowed on with me but no but like it was they were starting to lock down, like they were, they knew of COVID and they knew that there was a virus, but it wasn't as serious as what it got. You know, yeah. this was February time and then we were like a lockdown in March. So it was, no, they were strict enough. So it was only kind of her there that was saying, oh, if she doesn't want, to, if she wants to, then she will. Mm-hmm. So, so Kathleen, going to bring you back in. Um, you, what treatment did you have? Um, I had ABVD chemotherapy treatment. Rough. So I did. Horrible. <laughs> you still get the flashbacks and the smells. Oh. Misha, what chemo? Did you have chemo? I had the same thing. I had ABVD as well. Oh, welcome to the ABVD club. I know. <laughs> so Kathleen, it was rough? Yeah. I'd say I would have got, like, because it was every two weeks, you sort of got, like, a bit of a break. Mm-hmm. Um. But the first week after getting chemo, especially the first, like, two days, you just feel like you've been hit by a truck mm. and you feel so sick and nauseous. And then when you're going for it the next day, 
you get anticipatory sickness. So you feel like you're going to be sick before you've even had treatment. It was, it was awful. So I personally, I, I felt it was awful. And were, at the time, you were a long, a long time ago, it was you got treatment but who yeah. who were your healthcare staff around you did you have a, a cns like misha did or no at the time we didn't we didn't have a like a cancer nurse specialist that was only brought in sort of when i was going up for reviews and stuff so mm-hmm. i didn't really have one when going through treatment how did you find were the consultants good um did you feel like they I were saw a different consultant. every time i saw a different consultant yeah i very rarely saw my own consultant my own one like I think I saw maybe three or four times during my whole treatment um, journey uh-huh. we were tired like, soon after so I never really saw the same person twice and when it came to like finishing treatment what was that process like I was delighted there was a couple of lovely nurses there that I had sort of like you know you sort of get friendlier with them and um, I went off and I had my last treatment and I you know I was delighted that it was the last one and I was really very excited to get my pick line out because that was just annoying being there all the time and one of the nurses was like oh no you're gonna to have to come back and get another appointment to get that out and I was like are you being serious and um then another girl came over and she was like no I can just take that out for you now if you want to wait 10 minutes it'd be perfect I'll wait another 10 minutes and you can take it out so mm-hmm. that was it was good um so ABVD's rough but yeah Misha how was that for you with a young child Oh, it was, it wasn't so, I wasn't so much sick. It was more tiredness for me. Mm. But I know, I know that the nauseous, like the way you were saying, Kathleen, like when you go to the hospital the day before and you start to feel, or like you start to feel sick even the day before you go on. But I felt like when I was going under the hospital. So before I was even put up on the drop, I was starting to feel sick because you knew what you were in for and you knew what the next couple of days was going to entail. And at this time then, when I started after the holiday and stuff, by the time we started, um, I was, we, nobody was allowed under the house. So it was just me, Tehra and Fekra. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was so hard. It was the, one of, it was the hardest time in my life. It was so hard. The, Fekra was at that age too then, that he was starting to want down and, you know, I wanted to crawl about. And, and I just had no energy to try it. Like, we were weaning him off his bottles and, and we were two new parents, so we were like looking at each other, just all, oh my god, what do we do? How did we get on this? You know, and Sacra was obviously so innocent that it obviously still doesn't know like what no our shopping was being left at the door. I was not my mommy was no light on, my daddy was no light on. Mm-hmm. We had no support that was allowed under the house, just us. And it was going two weeks at a time before I was leaving to go to the next appointment. It was terrible. That's really rough. That's doing parenting on hard mode. Yeah, I know. Um, so, were you? Did you have long hospital stays while you were getting treatment, or was it a case of you're in and out? So when I got chemo, I was in and out. But I always took neutropenic sepsis every treatment I got it, and it meant I would have took up temperature, and it was like clockwork. I would have got me chemo on the Tuesday and on the Friday night I would have took the temperature mm-hmm. and I went down to the hospital in and it would have been like seven to ten days. Oh, it was terrible. We know visitors and, and I had it going on to our cancer ward too. I'm sure. And Cather was at home with Fekra? Aye. During that time? No support? Oh man. Um, no. 
And how long did your treatment, like both of you, did you have a similar time frame of treatment? How long were you on treatment for? Um, mine was, it was meant to be six months. So it was every two weeks for six months. And then obviously we fall in like sick in between when you couldn't get treatment and stuff. It sort of like stretched itself out. But yeah. Mine was just over six months. Yeah. I, when when I lost my eyebrows, I mean, all the moment, oh my God, no, I definitely look sick now. I look, and I used to say, I hate looking like I'm sick. Yeah. And losing my hair was traumatizing for me. Like, it was so, and probably the same for you too, Kathleen. It was yeah. the worst thing. And like, obviously, I loved with your hair. And I, yeah, I never seen you with no hair. I like swept my head scarf and everything because I just felt like, no, not letting anybody see me boldly. Like, nobody. Wow. And I didn't. The whole way, the whole way through, I didn't. That's testament to you, especially because you were in lockdown. Yeah. I know. I used to wake up in the middle of the night and I can show the head scarf to fell on me. <laughs> hey, you've got long hair at the minute. What's... Have you, is this... Oh, I've got the good extensions on my <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> it looks really good. So this is my own... This is the expectation here. Right. That's great. Right? There's this reality. <laughs> oh, there. That's my own hair. Here, but your hair's grown I got that. Sorry? I got the on straight away as soon as I could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what about eyebrows and stuff? Do you guys have any advice for anyone that's maybe lost their eyebrows or eyelashes, nose hair, ears hair? What do, Did you have any techniques? Learn to... how to draw your eyebrows on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I was, going, well, I was no. going to a girl to get my nails and all done for my formal because it was like around the same time and then I kept going back to her to get my nails done and at that time I was just started treatment and stuff and she brought me into the beauty room at the back and she was just like I'm going to teach you how to draw your eyebrows on and I will be forever thankful for that woman because I looked like a wee boiled egg with no hair and like no eyebrows and just these two little eyes and I was just like thank god someone taught me to draw eyebrows on myself I look like I have an expression. No, and the best thing that I came across, but it was near the end, I think, of treatment, was, um, uh, I know, like, years ago, you would have got the chin gum with the tattoos in the back. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. the, the children tattoos. And you just stuck them on your hand and put the water on, and it would have, uh, like, pulled it off, and it was a tattoo. Uh-huh. I found eyebrows mm-hmm. on eBay. Oh, man. So, Even- I was testing. Yeah. I was testing out and to her, so he was having, I was sticking them above his eyebrows to make sure that they were the right shape for me. So he was walking around the house with four eyebrows, and I, they were the best friends ever. I followed a girl on um, Instagram, and she had alopecia, and she was wearing them, and I was all, no, I need to get me some of them. And I got them, and oh my God, they were the best friends. But then my eyebrows, like, they was near the end. Then I was sorry I never found them earlier. Was that Simon told you about them? No, it was before before that that I said to Simon. Oh, yeah, because it was it Danny, is the girl on Instagram. Because he was so, because she was telling him we were doing a makeup class one night and I was saying about them. Yeah. And I was saying about that girl. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they're, um, they're definitely a new invention, though, Kathleen. You wouldn't have had them. You had to do it all freehand. No, no. Um, here that's brilliant. Did you find your nails wet? Like, um, I've talked to other people with a BVD treatment and they had real problems with their nails. Um, after treatment, were you guys all right with yours? Yeah, 
Um, I had, I refused to take my acrylic nails off. I was the same too. Um, wow. Yeah, they were like, we need these off. And I was like, this, that's not happening. And, and I just went and got my <laughs> Every two weeks, I went and got my acrylic nails done. And my nails were fine underneath. My handmaids were gone, but my, all my toenails fell off. <gasps> my toenails fell off. Uh, my toenails, yeah. And nobody talks about that. And I remember no, being traumatised. Like, I yeah. know. I rem- and it was coming under the summer. I remember being all in the, what am I going to do? <laughs> I was thinking, like, where my toenails should be. The skin. And there's like, nobody will know. Nobody will look that hard. And the hope oh, it's over there. <laughs> I know. I was... I- same point. I was thinking, I thought, no, you have to do something because I'm not going out with all. <laughs> it's not something that people talk about. Everyone's very focused on the hair, but actually, your nails really suffer as well. Yeah. Okay. Paint the skin. That's the advice. Yeah. Just paint the skin. Kind of not there. <laughs> Kathleen, I'm really curious when you were finishing treatment. Did they talk to you about fertility? Was fertility raised at any stage in your treatment? No, no, it it wasn't. No, nothing. Were you nothing. given? You were there given- was nothing. And there was no- there was nothing. It was never discussed, and there was never talked about. There was nobody asked me about it. Um, towards the end of treatment, it wasn't asked as if, oh, here, do you want to look at this now? Would you like these tests or anything? There was, there's not, and there still hasn't been. There's been nothing. And you, so you were diagnosed eight, eight years ago? Seven. Yeah, I was diagnosed in 2013. Okay. And so, Misha, you were more yeah. recent. When were you? 2020. So there was a, there's been a change in this period of time. So when you were coming to the end of treatment, Misha, what did they say about, you'd gone through your preservation, actually. Do you mind talking about that? Like, what that process was like? What happened? Um. So... That, it was a long process, so I think it took five weeks all in. Mm-hmm. Um, we done, no, it didn't, it wouldn't even have took five weeks, it was less than that. I think it was three weeks. It was supposed to be two, but it took three, and they said if there was any hiccups or any, it would put you back an hour couple. So, because I, I started my treatment then in March, so it would have been about three weeks. Um, it just meant it. Um, I took six injections a day, right. every day for two weeks and then I went to Belfast then for internal. So they said to me at the start, um, because I just passed ACRA, my ovaries wouldn't stimulate the way that they should, the way somebody that's done. No, so because I just had a baby, they weren't stimulating as quick as what if somebody didn't just have a baby. So um, they took a wee bit longer. So because obviously it was in Belfast, we couldn't travel up to get my injections every day. So to her, just used to do it more. Um, and then I went up then, so that took about three weeks, and then I went up then for my egg retrieval, um, and it was the most amazing experience ever, like, I went through liver and all, and it was amazing, so obviously it was, like, traumatising too, but, um, like, when they were receiving the eggs, it was, you were on a room and the doctor was there, and, and then there was, like, the person, I can't remember his name, but would count, like, He's a professional in eggs and fertility. And so when they were taking the fluid and the eggs out of your ovaries, he was shouting in from the room, No, how many you got? Yeah. So he was like shouting, there's one, no, there's two. So they got seven, I think, seven 
seven good eggs out of my ovaries. And then because obviously it was a cancer diagnosis, we only had one shot to do it, right? Uh-huh. So I don't embryos. I don't do just eggs. We don't embryos. So um, to her, sperm was um, injected under the egg mm-hmm. and all seven fertilized. <gasps> wow. Um, and also in the fertility, I used to ring and I used to ring and ask, no, well, how you, no, you do ring and see how, they're pro- no, how they were progressing. Uh-huh. No, when they were saying, like, no, I will, like, Six of them were doing really well, and seven months, seventh was falling behind. It wasn't growing as quick as all or six. So they said to me then, "No, we're going to have to. We're only going to freeze the six because the seventh one wouldn't. They have to pick the best and what'll survive this, the freezing and so on process. Mm-hmm. So, um, all seven fertilized and six were froze. So, how do you feel about that? That you've got six potential children in a freezer in Belfast? Yeah, her sister me will have to buy a box. <laughs> I, I said, oh my god <laughs> we were oh her says oh my god we'll need a vengable for all i am <laughs> so did, when you were finishing treatment then what was the or did that guidance did they tell you what you have to do if whenever you decide that you're ready to have all those six children i'm kidding but did they tell where what was did, have they explained to you how that process well, starts I- when I finished fertility, they just said, look, whenever it's your time and you're ready, you contact us and we'll go from there. So I think your appointments, like they didn't get too much on there about the process of what's going to happen. But they just said, look, we'll send you a letter every year to remind you, which is the maddest thing ever, that you've got six eggs froze. And I don't think I'm going to forget. Um, and then they said that, no, we'll go through the process then. But I'm, as for like, I'm hospital, no, nothing was mentioned. Nothing was even mentioned, but the way Kathleen said about the test, I don't even know you could get a test to test your fertility. Like, right. I don't, I, I, like, I only learned that there five months ago. Yeah, okay, yeah, you can. So, yeah, and what's so it? I don't, I, like, nothing was mentioned, nothing about that. It was just like, oh, well, like, you might get a test infection, you might have a call, and it doesn't necessarily mean your cancer's coming back. It's your cancer, and I just said, right, uh, we'll see you in three months. And I was like, right, okay. Wow. Similar. That's disappointing because we know, like, from the Teenage and Young Adult Service in Northern Ireland, um, we know from all the academic literature which has looked at uh, teenagers and young adults globally across the UK that especially for young women, fertility is one of the main concerns whenever they're diagnosed. So it's it's disappointing that it's not been addressed for you guys. Mm. Um, and it's disappointing, Misha, you had to fight so hard Um I definitely feel like in like the job that I've been doing that for boys it's a little bit easier, shall we say, fertility preservation. Uh, that we have recorded a podcast with some boys and it has its own complexities, but there's not this necessarily this process of all the injections that you were having. Was it, did you say six a day or six? Six a day, I. Yeah, and the egg retrieval process itself, which is a, it's an intensive process, and definitely I think some medical staff feel like the priority is you're getting you started on treatment um mm. rather than looking at the long-term effects it was kind of like for the way that it was explained to me was like no when i was saying no about my fertility and they were like oh no it might you might still be fertile i said might's not good enough for me mm. i i want to know because I, I i remember saying no when i finish this i know that i'm going to be all right and i'm not going to love the rest of my life thinking oh my god can i or can't i have a family mm-hmm. 
So that was kind of, I was thinking about future me, yeah. rather than me, like, now, right this minute, I was thinking, no, I know I'm going to get through this and I'm going to be all right. So I want to know that there's a chance that, that I can, that, that a very good chance. Mm-hmm. You know, I might conceive myself, but at least I have them as a backup. Yeah. You know, some people don't have that, that yeah. option. Uh-huh. So Kathleen, did you think about future you whenever you were going through treatment? No, it wasn't. No, I didn't. I suppose like when you are 18, I was doing my A-levels and stuff. It mm. wasn't really a thought that sort of popped into my head. It was sort of like, I just need to get through this so I can sit my exams and go to uni and things like that. That was what was at the forefront of my mind. There was not, it wasn't really thinking of like way down the line, like having a family and like uh-huh. settling down and stuff. That wasn't, it just wasn't in the forefront of my mind. And because I didn't say anything, nobody would have, nobody brought it up. It was never, mm-hmm. and we were just like, oh, no, she'll just do a treatment and it's grand sort of. Mm-hmm. Thing. it wasn't really a topic for discussion so if we do jump forward with you so we jump forward after you finish in treatment Shane comes along happy accident yeah and um, happy, accident. happy accident and you're a mum but you're a mum who's yeah. who's still very much post-treatment do you yeah um so you were still I'm like I'm sure that you were still dealing with some of the long-term effects of treatment I was just wondering how that experience was for you um you so when I had Shane it wasn't really like any sort of long-term effects I had off treatment any needs that I had were completely secondary there was no I had to look after Shane and that was it mm. you were like talking about fatigue and stuff and I was just like I'm tired all the time he doesn't sleep he cries <laughs> and he's up during the night I was just like fatigue I was just like I haven't slept in two hours like I've had two hours sleep in about three days that's fine we're functioning on coffee and adrenaline (laughs) so it wasn't really the long-term effects for me didn't really even come into play because I had just had she and and I had to deal with that Mm -hmm. and it was much more important than any other things that I had to do for myself yeah and Misha what about Fekra how was that how was it with you finishing treatment it was a relief for me then because I just felt like the, so whenever obviously I was back the whole way through sacred like the beginning of his life and you no, know, I just felt like I couldn't I could see people that had babies at the same time as me and they were like maybe going for a technic in the park mm-hmm. or you no know, taking into a soft play center or taking them to the park and like I couldn't do nothing with that and I couldn't even I was that tired I could didn't even have the energy to put like you know Halloween to dress him up, do you know, like things like, do you know, or put on a nice outfit on him, or I done it fake girl, like the way up in the big the first few months of his life, because I just couldn't do anything, mm-hmm. and although Kehar was such a great help, that like, it was more so, you need a mother's touch, like, you know, like it, you need somebody that's going to say, no, that doesn't match, you know, and I just wasn't that person <laughs> at that time, I just was like, put whatever you want on him, as long as it's clean. <laughs> I said I don't care but and I think what, that's what excites me about having an all our child like no I want to have one and, and experience that like there was no for me there was no like bonding although there was of course there was but there wasn't none no it was the parent like he was the one that looked after her and done everything for her and, mm-hmm. and I was just kind of there in the background giving orders yeah 
you know from bed so from bed yeah uh. <laughs> um Ga- Kathleen we've talked I've met Shane I love Shane he's yeah. a brilliant um source of fun and amusement but he's very much growing up um in like you've been a very active part of RTYA service in yeah. in Belfast and do you does he know that you had cancer like what what, what he because he's a he lot knows. older now yeah he's he just turned seven and sort of he's sort of been just through like any group things that we've been going on Shane as far as he's concerned they're for him they're his mates you know Simon's his friend you know we went did a drama thing and that was his drama class he there's no it was very much it's just sort of been brought up with him and he would have seen photos of me when I had no hair and stuff. And I was like, well, I just wasn't well and I had no hair. And he was like, all right. Doesn't really understand, doesn't really phase him. But he's a, I don't even think he's aware that that's why he gets to go to some of these things or the gym and stuff. And he's like, oh, can we go to the gym? And I was just like, yeah, sure, you can go, go to the gym. <laughs> that's fine. Just so. for context, Kathleen's part of a CrossFit group for cancer survivors in Belfast and... Shane can also come. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We had no choice. We had to bring Shane. Or I couldn't no. go. <laughs> <laughs> Shane had to go. <laughs> and how old's Vicra now? It's just turned two years. Has he? Yep. Uh, Were you able to have a party for him? Not sure we had COVID. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. In COVID, his birthday. Oh, he oh, had COVID. I know. Uh, we all have it now. What a birthday present. I know, that's what I said. My reign will be free by the time you get the proper birthday party. God love him. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, brilliant. Um, usually how we end podcasts is, is that we say, you know, what advice would you give someone else in a similar situation? But um, with you guys, you've got, you've, you're both mums now, but you came to motherhood at different stages. So I, your advice might be a little bit more particular to someone that's similar to you but is there anything that you think you'd want someone to know listening or um like me she did she pushed for fertility treat like to preserve um her fertility and stuff and I would encourage any girl at any age to try and do that because although I'm very lucky to have Shane it's not guaranteed that I could ever have another child Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't know and that I don't have that fertility as an option so for other girls that are younger, definitely push it and definitely bring it up because although you mightn't think about it now, you could be down the year five or ten years and go, I wonder if that's an option for me and it mightn't be just as easy mm-hmm. as like you might think it would be. Mm-hmm. What about you, Misha? I am kind of the same. I'm glad I done, I done what I did. Like I pushed hard first and now I'm sitting knowing that like God for that I couldn't conceive myself. At least then at least I know I have them. You know, they're sitting there until my fifty fifth birthday to be exact. Oh so, really? <laughs> I they keep them to my fifty fifth birthday and then they dispose of them. So if I want to have a bed fifty, I can have one. Yeah, we fifty. Which is highly on my like nearly thirty well at twenty years age. Yeah, between that child and Faker, no thirty. So I don't think I, I think um no, that's what I would recommend. I definitely I don't regret anything like about it all. 
um don't be afraid to reach out to other mums oh okay like if you're struggling with anything like because this podcast has taken months to come together <laughs> like with people's schedules and babies and sickness and stuff and it can be a real struggle for some people and especially if you're younger or if you have kids you can be very isolated as Dramicia did when she was like going through treatment and stuff and didn't have anyone around her mm-hmm. like don't be afraid to reach out to other mums because a lot of them will judge you and a lot of them will just be like yep yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from. I feel like hiding sometimes too. Yeah. And just talk about it with other people. Do you have any, actually, it doesn't necessarily have to be cancer specific, but is there any other young mung groups or anything that you guys have found helpful in Northern Ireland? I didn't meet any friends with children until I went to tech when Shane was maybe three. Mm Mm-hmm two or three so I found once I found a friend like a person that had another child the same age I found it much easier but for a while it was very much my friend group and then me and Shane (laughs) we were just like brought him along to dinners and stuff I was like yep Shane's coming too part of the gang (laughs) so it was it was difficult for my friends maybe to relate what I was going through which was completely understandable Mm -hmm. um not they were great they were supportive and stuff but it just wasn't the same as maybe having someone that knew where you were coming from Mm mm-hmm I think the same, because even like when I said about the baby girl situation, no Catherine laughing, no, she knows the crack yeah. class. She knows the crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as long as the handiness of it all. Yeah. Misha, I suppose you're, you're speaking in a really different context because you've had COVID and a lot of the baby groups have been shut basically over this period I, of time. Nothing, we've never been to a play group or anything or nothing. So you've not been able to meet any other young mums? No, just friends that I have that have children with okay. would be only, which isn't much because, you no know, people don't, people think they would litter now they have yeah. children, no. So you've never met any other young mums with cancer either? You've had cancer? No. No. And Kathleen, no. have you met any over your period of time? Um... I knew there was one girl, but I didn't really meet her, but I knew that she was going through treatment and had a child. Uh-huh. But I didn't really get to interact with her or anything. So mm-hmm. I would say it's quite a small, a bit very niche, very small group of girls that would have children either going through treatment or have had some after treatment. It's a very niche circumstance, but, um, and it's hard to find, it's hard to find those connections, but, um, if anyone's listening and they find themselves in that circumstance, I'd recommend speaking speaking to your Young Lives versus Cancer social worker, um, as they can usually connect you with other young parents, and that goes for young dads as well. So we've just listened to Kathleen and Misha talking about their experiences of fertility before, during and after treatment. And obviously that conversation raised a lot of questions. So to answer those questions, we've been very kindly joined by... Lisa Callender. I am a teenage cancer trust teenage and young adult clinical nurse specialist. And Lisa's based out of the Ulster in Northern Ireland. However, she has a very deceiving accent. A wee bit Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) So Lisa, the first question we should start with is, does cancer treatment always make you infertile? 
Such a good question and one that we get asked a lot in day-to-day practice. So the, the very straightforward answer is no. Um, but um, there are treatments that can impact on your fertility, sort of, you know, chemotherapy or biological therapy. And also if you have any surgery in and around your reproductive organs, then yes, that can impact on it. But that will be discussed with you at the point when your diagnosis is made and your treatment plan is arranged. Perfect. Thank you for answering that. So I suppose if you do have those discussions with your your consultant or your clinical nurse specialist and they say they bring this up, what can you do at that stage to help preserve your fertility if that's something you want to do? There are options around that. And again, it's very much like you see if that's something you want to do. There's a regional fertility centre in Belfast and given a, you know what your diagnosis and your treatment will be, well, you'll be then referred up to the team there. At that point in time, the discussion will be had about how your fertility can be preserved. So if you are male or you are a person who has testicles and produces sperm, um, you'll be booked in to um, go over, you'll have your discussions. There's blood tests need done, but again, we'll talk about them at the time. Um, and then you will be talked through the procedure and then for you, you can just make a deposit. Um, in banking terms and we do call it the sperm bank and your sperm will then be held for a a long period of time and can be um, withdrawn at any point in time. Great, like an ATM. Like an ATM. Um, So actually on the second episode of this podcast series Connor and Daniel talked about sperm banking so if you want to go back you can listen to that. Obviously it does have, it's not, um, how can we word this? It's not like you'd make a deposit at home. Definitely not. <laughs> so um, there's de- there's advice out there and we'll link to that in the podcast description mm-hmm. with other people talking about that experience and any advice they might have for you if you if you go through that. But so it what if you're a woman or you're someone who has ovaries? What's the options there? So in that, that case, it's a bit more involved. Um, you know how as women like to make things a bit more difficult <laughs> in the best possible way. So... In that, on that occasion, again, it would be the same procedure. You'd have blood tests done and you would go through um, consultation and have discussions about everything that goes with any kind of fertility preserving. And then for you, you would have to have a series of injections over a number of weeks. They would then measure your follicle size. It's all very technical. And then you would, again, have eggs extracted. Um if you have a partner who produces sperm you can then have the option of creating an embryo and that embryo being kept or or multiple embryos obviously um then being kept and again that's something that'll be discussed at the time of your visit to the fertility center as to whether you would freeze an egg or freeze an embryo great yeah so that's what misha had she froze embryos um with her partner so that's what that process looks Mm -hmm. like so you said there at the beginning if we have time Mm -hmm. so I take it that those options aren't available for everyone it's always easier with banking sperm because in that instance it's a much easier deposit to make and it's a much easier sample to collect whereas if it's eggs and embryos that takes a bit more time it also depends on your disease and how advanced your disease is or how quickly treatment needs to get started. Um, 
that's always a more difficult discussion um, and sometimes what we can do in those instances is refer you after the initial couple of treatments because what we want to do is to make sure that we have we prioritize all aspects of your care and obviously we want you around to be able to have those fertility discussions um, so yeah getting on with treatment can be quite important at times okay so that's not saying if you don't you know like if you don't bank your eggs or bank your sperm before you start treatment that doesn't necessarily mean that process can't happen it might happen just a little bit later down the road yeah exactly and so everyone that is aged zero to 25 in northern ireland will have a clinical nurse specialist won't they especially yes. if they're over the age of 16 they'll have a they might have a tct nurse yes or they might have a friends of the cancer center nurse if yeah. they're being treated out of belfast and we we all as a team but definitely the specialist nurses have had training in fertility so we would recommend to you to just be really open with those conversations with your nurse to talk it might not be something you considered having children um so but equally, if it's really important to you, talk to your nurse because they'll be your advocate. They'll be your biggest. Won't absolutely, they? absolutely, yeah. and it's, that's a really good point. Is that sometimes when your diagnosis comes, you might not even have thought about children. You're probably thinking about what you're doing at the weekend. You know where you're going to uni, and those are things that don't come into your head. And all of a sudden, there's a spotlight shone on that. And that's what we will do as a team is we will guide you through that process and mm. ha help you to have those thought processes that you're not probably even anywhere near ready to think about. And sometimes it's about a bit of an insurance policy. Um, and even if you're on the fence about your, you know, whether or not you want to have children, what your future holds, then it's a good time to even take that opportunity to make those deposits because you can keep them there for as long as you're allowed to retain them or if it becomes apparent to you that it's not something you want to do then you can have them destroyed as well so yeah we've supported young people in the past who've actually made the decision a few years post-treatment to to destroy yeah. their deposits yeah. um because they've decided that's not what they want with their future so there's all the options are open aren't absolutely they? yeah and that's so important but we have to have the conversations in the first place so hopefully this will help people to feel more confident about having those kind of conversations with us so and and if we think about kathleen and what she talked about in the podcast she had treatment a very long time ago mm -hmm. and fertility wasn't discussed but actually now that's something she's mm -hmm. thinking about so if you're in a similar position where treatment was a long time ago what can you do lisa to get your fertility checked uh, the first protocol GP um, okay. if you're no longer in contact with your TYA team or with your consultant team for your your disease it's you know your GP is your first protocol and um, if you've you know you've had that conversation with your GP in the past even if you've changed GPs your records move with you mm. and you can just say to them what your your past is with your diagnosis and your treatment and you can ask to have your fertility assessed Initial and this is oh sorry so this is important isn't it because for anyone else that's having fertility issues mm -hmm. the gp will say you need to be trying for a child for Absolutely. a year before they'll investigate mm -hmm. but because you've had a cancer diagnosis you're entitled to get your fertility checked as soon as possible isn't that right absolutely and the gp can start that process there are bloods that the gp can do yeah that will start that process looking at your hormone profiles looking at you know all the different things that go into how we look at your fertility mm. um, and then if they see anything that worries them then they will refer you to the fertility centre but nine times out of ten you will be eligible to be referred on and the fertility centre will see you and again it goes they go through a process with you at looking at what your fertility is. 
Yeah. So they can do lots of different investigations yeah. and obviously depends on the type of treatment you had, the type of cancer you had, what they'll recommend. Mm -hmm. um, just to also mention as well, there are private tests out there that you can access. Um, there's a company called Hertility that you, if, if you're a woman or you're someone with ovaries and produces eggs, you can pay to have a private test done and it's through the post and things like that. So the world is becoming more accessible. Very much. And we also should note in this podcast that we're recording it in December 2021. And who knows what the next couple of years are going to have in terms of like fertility preservation or fertility treatments. So always speak to your treatment team, to your GP, because there might be something in the future that we can't even comprehend at the minute that will help you with that. Yeah, very much. And things are changing. Um, and with the world being more open and more access to what other people are doing, you can see that there are new things coming through. So keep an eye out for things and don't be afraid to ask a question. If you have read something online, um, I always think if you ask the question and you get your answer, even if it's not the answer you want, at least you've asked the question. Mm -hmm. We'll say if you're a trans young person um, and you had started like hormone replacement therapy, you've probably already had conversations about fertility preservation. So you may have already been through fertility preservation. However, that's definitely something to discuss with your um, treatment team about how hormone therapy would have impacted on your fertility and what the options are there. And one other thing that's really important to say is everybody thinks about having their own babies and their baby being genetically theirs. Um, um, it, it, yes, everybody wants to have their own biological child but always remember there are other routes to parenthood um, and especially in the world today where you can adopt babies from other countries, you can um, have use a surrogacy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's so many different options now. So it, it can be hard because, especially in a small country like Northern Ireland, um, you do, you think about your own family being biologically yours, but, you know, just remember there are other ways to be parent families more than that isn't it 100 percent. and we talked about this a lot in young lives versus cancer we've done some q a's on our instagram account where we've looked at adoption fostering mm -hmm. and surrogacy so go ahead it'll still be on the highlights in our instagram profile go and have a look if you want to learn more about that lisa thank you so much for answering those questions remember if you do have more questions about fertility get in touch with your young lives versus cancer social worker or your clinical nurse specialist and they will be more than happy to answer those questions for you thanks very much for having me bye bye thank you to misha kathleen and lisa for coming on our podcast and sharing their wisdom and also a massive thank you to the national lottery community fund for funding this podcast as part of our together we thrive project enabling us to share these stories in the description of this podcast, we've included some links to organisations and other charities who support young people with a cancer diagnosis in and around pregnancy and motherhood, as well as some information about fertility, fertility preservation and cancer treatments. Thank you so much to, for listening to this episode and to this podcast series. We hope you enjoyed the tea.